Okay, so now they're saying that fireworks are racist. Fireworks are racist. That's coming up in a moment. Billionaire Richard Branson is headed to space. As we speak, billionaire Richard Branson, the head of Virgin Atlantic, is literally flying up to space. And this proves that capitalism works and that private industry is capable of doing things that the government never even dreamed of doing. We'll explain all of that coming up. All right, so according to the media, you cannot make this stuff up. Fireworks displays are racist. Here's a tweet from National Geographic. And by the way, it's bogus. They made it up. Scientists found that communities of color are disproportionately affected by smoke from fireworks. Smoke from fireworks disproportionately affects communities of color. What what are the what are the people of color inhale more smoke? Than white people? Is that the issue? So I actually checked the, st- I looked back and actually checked the source and I checked the study instead of trusting National Geographic taking their word for it. And of course, they totally misconstrued the study. The study says nothing about minorities whatsoever. The study says a very simple fact. And I don't even know if we believe this, but let's see because it's science. We can't deny science because then they'll say that we're science deniers, right? When we attack Fauci, we're attacking science, the essence of science itself. But here's what it says. It says that urban areas, people in urban areas, smoke from fireworks is worse for people in urban areas than for people in rural areas. Why? Because there are more elderly people in urban areas and there are more asthmatics, more asthma patients in urban areas. That's all it says. It says that smoke from fireworks does more damage in urban areas than in rural areas. Why? More elderly people and more asthmatics. Well, here's my question. Why are there more? The whole thing to me, and again, I, I, you know, you have to really go through the data, I suppose, but isn't the obvious point that one would ask is, aren't there more people in urban areas than in rural areas? Yeah, when you have more cows than people, when you have a city with like you know, 712 people and like a bunch of cows versus you when you have a big city with millions of people, of course, they're going to be more elderly. So that's what I'm saying. They, 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 mess, they manipulate data and I can't stand the manipulation of data. And it still doesn't mention a word about people of color, but put that aside. Even the suggestion that, well, urban areas are more badly affected, more harm, you know, smoke from fireworks, more harmful to them that because there's more people. If there's more people, there's more elderly people. If there's more people, there's more asthma patients because there are more people. But anyway, so then National Geographic decided, well, let's put two and two together over here. Urban areas are more dangerously affected by fireworks and urban areas tend to have more blacks and Hispanics than rural areas. So fireworks must be racist. I mean, this is the new science. And now if you deny this, by the way, then you're denying science. It's like worse than attacking Dr. Fauci. Imagine if we said, well, more people in urban areas are killed by car crashes than rural areas. Imagine if they said that National Geographic car crashes disproportionately affect people of color, you know, urban areas, which affects people of color because there's more people. So rural areas. So it's like car crashes are racist because car crashes are more common in urban areas than in rural areas, and there's more blacks in, in, in urban areas, so clearly car crashes are racist. I mean, you cannot make this stuff up. All right, did you hear the story Iran? Iran's doomsday clock. Are you aware of Iran's doomsday clock against Israel where they have a countdown to Israel's destruction? So the doomsday clock stopped last week. Why did the doomsday clock stop? The, the Literally the down clock that Iran has to the Israeli doomsday it stopped because Iran didn't pay the electric bill. Um, I kid you not. You, I mean, you, you know, it's like you read the news. It, it, it's more stunning in a way, more startling than like just if I would just make up fiction. So they're counting down the days until Israel's destruction. But that clock 
was shut down because of, there's like a picture of the clock. It's blank because of electricity shortages. Thanks to President Trump and the sanctions, Biden is desperately trying to lift sanctions. He's already alleviated some sanctions on Iran in a show of good faith because Iran deserves our good faith because we know that they're going to, you know, once again decide to jump back in to the nuclear deal to comply. And as though anybody believes that for, for a second. So the, this clock was unveiled back in 2017 at an anti-Israel rally by President Hassan Rouhani. Remember, Rouhani is the moderate. Ahmadinejad was the hardline. Rouhani is the moderate. Um, supposed moderate, quote-unquote, and as the Quds Day um, observances back in 2017, you know what Quds Day is all about, so they literally uh, they unveiled this doomsday clock, and it gave the final, it was like a 23-year, there's some prediction by the Ayatollah, some 23-year countdown clock, so Iran has run out of money, they couldn't pay the electric bill, they're having massive electricity shortages. Or can I suggest, you know, that's the, see, that is the storyline coming out of Iran. Oh, it's Trump's fault, but maybe Israel sabotaged the clock. I mean, we know that Israel basically sabotages anything related to Iran that Iran actually cares about. By the way, Iran suddenly decided, speaking of that, that they were attacked last week. Actually, this goes back a few days, probably a week and a half. One of their nuclear facilities, which Iran originally denied, said, no, no, we weren't attacked. But there was another mystery attack. There have been repeated, I don't know if you noticed, in the last, since Biden took over, and even before that, since, since it became clear in the middle of last year that you know Trump may not be around much longer, there are mystery explosions left and right, every relevant nuclear facility tour. It's, it's just, it, look, it's for peaceful purposes, of course. Yeah, they have these nuclear power plants, but it's just for nuclear energy. They want to power their country. They, they, the, the Iranians don't have any sort of nefarious motives in, in, with all these uh, you know centrifuges and all the uranium they're enriching. But anyway, so another recent attack at a nuclear facility, the Iranians initially denied any damage. Well, now they suddenly had a change of heart. So last week they said that they thwarted the attack, but now they decided that the attack caused extensive damage. You cannot make this stuff up, and Iran blamed Israel for that attack. This was on a nuclear facility near Tehran, and the official IRNA, the state-sponsored IRNA news agency, reported that uh, the Iranians now decided, well, it turns out we were attacked and there was extensive damage, but originally you said, no, there was no attack. We managed to thwart the attack. Well, they had a change of heart. Well, it's not exactly the kind of thing you can have a change of heart. Well, it's blue. No, it's red. Well, I had a change of heart. Now it's blue. I mean, what is that supposed to be? So Iran's cabinet spokesman, Ali Rabieh said the sabotage was an attempt to interfere with talks in Vienna, uh, uh, attempting to revive the nuclear deal between the U.S. and Joe Biden and Iran. Rabieh said, quote, the Zionist regime carried out this action to signal that it can stop Iran and to say there is no need to talk with Iran. But whenever sabotage has happened, uh, we, I, we have even gotten even closer to our goal. That's basically what he said. He said, whenever sabotage like this has happened, that actually brings us closer, not further. Oh, yeah, sure. We believe that one. So interesting, according to Israel, according to reports out of Israel, what did this uh, the facility do? This facility was actually a manufacturing plant for centrifuges, and that would mean this was a major, major setback for the Iranian regime's uranium enrichment program. Uh, Iran's ISNA news agency, which is, of course, linked to the regime at the time, said that they thwarted the threat, that they neutralized it before it was able to do any damage, but now they've had a change of heart. All right, NPR, the Na National Public Radio, which is just an egregious, egregious company, super liberal, biased company that's funded by the public, by tax dollars. They have put out a tweet saying 
that the Declaration of Independence, get this, I mean, the news, it's, it's just madness. It's just zany. It's like the society has completely gone off the deep end here. Uh, the NPR says the Declaration of Independence is flawed and hypocritical. The Declaration of Independence, that's a quote from an NPR tweet, is flawed and hypocritical. NPR, National Public Radio, put out a tweet. The, the Declaration of Independence is a document with flaws and deeply ingrained hypocrisies. Well, now many Republicans, and they've been this way for years, by the way. By the way, NPR is as boring and tedious. NPR, they talk, they want to come across, they're very liberal, and they're very open-minded. They're like anti-somebody like Trump, so they don't get upset or angry or emotional. They put you to sleep. It is so boring. If you ever tune into NPR, if you're ever suffering from insomnia, Turn on NPR. Everybody there talks in a very gentle way, a soporific. You know what soporific means? It means sleep-inducing because when you're very calm and mellow and you're like anti-somebody nasty like Trump who's very passionate and emotional, well, then you, well, you, you're boring. You are boring. Nobody wants to listen to you. Yeah, I, I hope that my show doesn't sound a, a bit like NPR. Anyway, so now many Republicans are calling for the government to defund NPR. Now— they don't technically get government funds directly deposited into NPR's bank account, but it is. It's clearly it, – it, it, we all know. NPR, they, they, they don't have sponsors. NPR, you know why they don't have sponsors? Because they don't have listeners. They have a tiny, tiny infinitesimal – I'm not exaggerating here. The, the NPR listenership, NPR ratings are extremely minimal – and um, they couldn't sell commercials if they tried because nobody's listening. So they get grants, millions of dollars in grants that basically gets funneled in to NPR from the government. So uh, and they're extremely biased. I mean, if you're gonna, if the government's going the government should not be funding. We we we're thirty trillion dollars in debt, and there's trillions and trillions of dollars of budget deficits every year. The government should not be funding. National public radio or any sort of media whatsoever, or any sort of arts. They have the National Endowment for the Arts and the Humanities. I mean, it's such a waste of money. But there, but but if you are going to fund uh, a, a, a radio show, a radio station, it should not be extremely biased to the left or to either side, for that matter. If they were, if they were, if the government was funding a right wing radio station, I would speak out against that as well. So um, anyway, so the, they they literally call the Declaration of Independence. The, our tax dollars are going to a radio station that calls the Declaration of Independence uh, basically riddled with flaws and hypocrisies. All right, Democrat Congresswoman Cori Bush, she's a member of the squad, or as I call it, the cabal. So she says that July 4th is a, a, a day of independence for white people, only for white people. It seems that the squad, the socialists, uh, the socialist cabal, they believe that July 4th is not a day of independence for every American, only for white people. Here's what here's what she said. She said, quote, um, I believe this was in a tweet. When they say the 4th of July is about American freedom, remember this, the freedom they're referring to is for white people. Black people still are not free. Okay, black people are still not free. So white people are free, black people, that, that's funny because it seems to me that black people are free. Now, is, is society perfect? Is there racism? There is racism. Part of me believes that there will always be racism, but you look at the advancements that have been made, you look at how much freedom blacks have, you look at the, the success, you look at the prosperity of people like Ben Carson and Clarence Thomas and Colin Powell and, and, and people, many blacks on the left, Barack Obama. I mean, Barack Obama was president of the United States for eight years, but the, 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 the Independence Day, July 4th, is freedom for white people, not for black people. I mean, it's egregious. All right, so Governor Andrew Cuomo, I mean, what a disgraceful human being. Governor Andrew Cuomo, he wants to crack down 
on the surge in crime in New York State. And let me just say right off the bat, who caused the surge in crime in New York State? Two people, Governor Andrew Cuomo and de Blasio. You want to throw the legislature into the mix because of bail reform? You can do that. That's fine. Governor Cuomo is the number one cause of the surge in crime in New York State, and now he wants to crack down. I mean, it's like it's total gaslighting and brainwashing how the media will, like, celebrate and embrace Cuomo. Cuomo, by the way, who is riddled with scandals. Cuomo, who murdered so many thousands of nursing home residents, elderly people. But he's going to get up and say, well, I'm going to crack down on crime, the crime that he himself caused. Well, how's he doing it? Well, he announced new gun control measures. Gun control is not the issue because before bail reform and before defund the police and before they started releasing criminals from jail left and right um, with COVID and and bail reform was a huge part of the whole thing, even pre-COVID, because they basically it's a revolving door. Police arrest the same people over and over again. These are violent criminals and they get released and they say, well, it's not wasn't a violent crime. Well, you're robbing a bank is a violent crime, even if you don't use a gun. But um, and, and driving drunk and, and, and killing somebody is a violent crime. So but they let the, they release these people from jail left and right. And then they wonder why. And, and then they blame guns and then they blame the guns. Well, that's funny, because when people were being put in criminals were actually kept in jail, the guns were not there was not a surge in, in, in gun violence. So and the guns were still around. So the gun, the gun measures didn't change since then. So how do you explain that? How, how, how can you possibly blame it on the gun laws? But um, bail reform, de Blasio eliminated the anti-crime unit in New York City. Uh, remember, de Blasio took away a huge no- amount of money in of police funding. I gave it to black kids in New York. Now they're starting to refund the police because they're, they're seeing how much of a disaster that was. So Cuomo's the reason. I mean, literally, and they're not even addressing the root of the problem, and everybody celebrates the media and says, oh, wow, Governor Cuomo, Governor Cuomo wants to crack down on crime. Wow, he's our hero. By the way, why is Joe Biden getting a pass on gun control. Why are the Democrats getting a pass on gun control? Remember when Trump was president, anytime there'd be a shooting, anytime there'd be any kind of mass shooting or any incident, the mainstream media, the Democrats, they blamed Trump and they blamed the Republicans. And uh, and they talked about gun control and we need to close up all the loopholes and we need gun, tighter gun restrictions. And we and, and, and the Second Amendment is leading to so many casualties and so many horrific shootings. Well, I don't understand. Biden and the Democrats are in control. They're working on infrastructure. They, they, they passed COVID relief, which wasn't COVID relief, by the way. So they've been in power for months. I haven't seen a single bill, a single piece of legislature on gun control now that the Democrats are in charge and actually have the ability to do it. So they love, well, why is that? Well, I suspect, I don't know why Democrats, when they're not in power, we know one thing for a fact, because Obama and his Democrats, they passed Obamacare. They did nothing for gun control. Trump did more for gun control, as I always say, by banning bump stocks than Obama. But um, why is it when the the Republicans are in power, the Democrats complain nonstop and blame Republicans for uh, mass shootings? And then when the Democrats are in charge, and there's been many mass shootings under Biden, and yet suddenly they're silent and suddenly they're not passing gun control measures. I can only, whatever it is, it's it's a clear, clear cut um, hypocrisy, but I can only suspect that the reason is because there are so many millions of Democrat gun owners, they want you to believe that Democrats in Wisconsin and Michigan, white Democrats, I'm talking about blue collar workers, Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin, Georgia, states that Democrats desperately need. You know how many millions and millions of gun owners they, there are? And, and they don't want to lose their vote. So they actually are choosing their own elections and, and, and they're choosing their own potential, uh, jeopardizing their own chances of winning re-election, the Democrats, over the values they claim to care about, which is gun control. All right, so remember those Dr. Fauci emails, the ones that exposed 
Fauci, the man of science, exposed him for what he really is. Well, guess what? A professor uh, who expressed his gratitude to Dr. Fauci, remember we, we told you about this, I believe, in those emails. There's a professor who actually thanked Dr. Fauci in an email, expressed his gratitude to Dr. Fauci for downplaying the possibility, the lab leak theory, the possibility that COVID leaked out of the Wuhan lab, the Wuhan Institute of Virology. This, this man's name was Walter Ian Lipkin, and it turns out that he has close connections to the Chinese Communist Party, to members of the Chinese Communist Party, to the Chinese Communist leadership. Yes, Walter Ian Lipkin, this has now been exposed, Walter Ian Lipkin, the professor who thanked Fauci, this is way back, by the way, in, in, in early 2020, thanked Fauci for downplaying the lab leak theory. We have an email to prove that. So Lipkin has close ties to the Chinese Communist government. I mean, can you believe this? I'm, I'm, I'm not surprised one bit. Lipkin is a professor of epidemiology at Columbia University. He's known as a virus hunter. And last year, he thanked Fauci for dismissing the notion that the virus could have originated in the Wuhan lab. And uh, he wrote in an email, this is May of 2020, so relatively early in the pandemic. He said, quote, we deeply appreciate your efforts in steering and messaging. That was for a, 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 an email of Lipkin to Dr. Fauci. And um, the we appears to include a Chinese government figure because as part of the message, Lipkin forwarded an email from Chen Zhu, China's for, a, a, a former leader of China, China's former minister of health. Yes, he literally forwarded an email to, to Fauci from China's former minister of health. And he said, we, we deeply appreciate. So basically, you have China, you have the leadership of China. And the, the former health minister of China basically essentially thanking Chow, thanking Fauci, the man of science, through a third party, this this um, th th this liberal professor at Columbia University who clearly wants to defend China, thanking Fauci for downplaying the lab leak theory. And by the way, now so many, so many Democrats, so many members of the media suddenly are interested in the lab leak theory and suddenly recognize that it is clearly the most likely explanation. And the only explanation is that it came out of that lab. Um, Lipkin and Zhu, Zhu is Chen Zhu, this minister of health, their relationship dates back to at least the early 2000s when the pair worked together on the SARS outbreak. Well, isn't that nice? Dr. Ronnie Jackson, remember him, he's the former White House physician, the former White House doctor. He was Trump's doctor, and I do believe that he was Obama's doctor as well, Dr. Ronnie Jackson. He says that Joe Biden, it's time to take a cognitive test. Well, isn't that long overdue? Did you notice a few days ago when Biden, he, he had to pull out his notes to answer or report his question on Russia? I mean, imagine if Trump, I heard others make this point. Imagine if Trump pulled out his notes. Trump never pulled out notes. I don't think Trump has notes. But imagine he was always able to answer any question. He was able to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with any reporter and, uh, you know, never flinched at all, never said, I have to check and get back to you. He was always, uh, you know, holding in any single issue. They would just pepper him. They would grill him, throw questions at him. He'd be standing in front of uh, Marine One, the helicopter, waiting to get on. He'd stand there for an hour and literally just debate back and forth and hash things out with these reporters and always, always had his response ready. He was just thought on his feet, never, ever, ever even hesitated or stammered. So Biden had to pull out his notes to answer a basic question about Russia. I mean, if Trump did that, I mean, forget it. They'd be invoking the 25th Amendment. They'd be impeaching him. You know, I mean, I don't have to tell you. Anyway, so Biden has no idea where he is, what questions he's answering. And it, and it's for, it's honestly sad because they parade him out there and he's like supposed to be the president. And it's just really, really pitiful. But Dr. Ronnie Jackson, he called on Democrats to follow through. They, they, they actually were demanding at one point 
that Joe Biden have a cognitive assessment. Um, they did remember, by the way, they did the same thing with Trump. Following speculation on Trump's mental aptitude one year into his presidency, remember the Democrats were calling for Trump to be mentally assessed. Well, he did it. He took a, 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 the Montreal cognitive assessment, a 30-point exam that ten, tests for mental cognitive issues. And uh, Trump, of course, passed with flying colors on Fox News. Jackson, Ronnie Jackson, said, quote, the far left and the mainstream media were demanding that that be the new standard for anybody who's going to lead our country. And I'm just saying that I agree with them at this point. We need to get it done. So I'm sorry, Democrats, I misspoke earlier. Democrats were not calling for Biden to get the test, of course, but they, they called for Trump to do it. Trump complied. And um, Jackson is the one who administered the test for Trump. He said it's not an IQ test. It's a standard test for age-related issues, including dementia and cognitive decline. The White House last month said that Biden is scheduled to take a physical later this year, but they did not say whether or not that's going to include the cognitive testing. And by the way, you know, what are Democrats afraid? Let's say Biden would fail his cognitive test. What would happen exactly? I think some Dem- I'd be more concerned, frankly, than the Democrats, because what happens if Biden gets removed out of office, gets removed from office? I mean, who takes over? Yeah, that's right. Kamala Harris. Kamala Harris has been a complete and utter nightmare. I mean, look at what she's done on the border. I mean, imagine Kamala Harris being in charge of the country. I mean, again, it's pick your poison. Kamala Harris, who is just this you know, very, very radical, evil person. I mean, just this nasty, vicious person. Or Biden, who had just has no clue where he is or what is even going on. I mean, I'm, uh, honestly, neither option to me is very appealing. All right, so Richard Branson, the billionaire, the head of Virgin Atlantic, he is literally blasting off into space as I record this. And this is fascinating. Jeff Bezos is planning to travel to space in the coming weeks. Elon Musk and his company, SpaceX, I mean, they have sent numerous rockets. Their private company has sent numerous rockets into space over the years. And Elon Musk has really revolutionized revolutionized the car industry. And of course, the liberals don't even appreciate it. Elon Musk, I mean, he's made the, like this, this incredibly, incredibly cutting edge electric car. Everybody's familiar with the Tesla. And uh, what he really did was he like revolutionized the entire car industry, modernized it and made it extremely climate friendly. And yet somehow Democrats in the media, for some reason, they treat Elon Musk as an enemy because they don't like the fact that he's a billionaire. Well, hello, he, he's literally fulfilling all the, lib- the liberal wish list, the Democrat wish list of, of an electric car that's literally light years beyond virtually any other car out there. But that's uh, beside the point right now. So private space tourism, this is the first really where for years and years we've been hearing about private space tourism where they're going to send people into space to tour, where they're going to send private c- citizens, tourists, into space. So Richard Branson is actually doing it, and the others are going to follow suit as well. So you have three private companies um, that have completely taken over the space industry, and it has gone further in the last few years than it went in many, many decades before under NASA and under the government. So the question is why? Why has space travel advanced so quickly in the last few years, and it was so slow and got almost nowhere for many, many, many decades under NASA? Well, it's very simple. It's called, there's one word, it's called capitalism. Capitalism, this proves how incredibly successful capitalism is. The fact that they've gotten so far, these private companies, Elon Musk, Richard Branson, Jeff Bezos, they have made so many incredible advancements in science and in, and in space travel. And uh, the government couldn't even hold a candle. The government didn't even do a tiny fraction 
of, of, of what private industry has been able to accomplish. NASA was basically like the DMV. I mean, would you want the DMV running your space program? And yet these companies, it, it's like, you know, Geico and Amazon and, and, and Visa and, and private companies, which work so much better than government agencies like the DMV. And the IRS, right? You ever try reaching the IRS? I mean, you could, you could, you could literally you could, uh, send somebody into an asylum, uh, spending hours and hours on hold and uh, spending days and days just trying to reach a human being at the IRS. You call Geico, they pick up in 30 seconds. Or MasterCard or any other private company. So here's a quote from the Daily Wire discussing space travel. Why the drastic shift? Because government-led space travel is going nowhere fast. Like other government programs... NASA has no incentives to cut costs or innovate. After six decades, NASA still spends an average of $152 million per launch. Meanwhile, after two decades of operation, SpaceX spends $62 million with one-third of the experience and a fraction of the workforce. And without access to a multi-billion dollar pool of no-strings-attached taxpayer money, SpaceX has managed to shave 60% off the, cost, off the cost of a rocket launch. Eventually, SpaceX plans to send its Starship rocket into orbit for $2 million, a 98% savings over NASA's current rate. A primary a source of cost savings created by SpaceX is an emphasis on reusable rockets. SpaceX boosters touch down on drone ships or land-based platforms following successful missions. As Elon Musk has described, failing to reuse rockets is as foolish as scrapping commercial jets each time they, use, they are used to cross the Atlantic. So I want to point this out. That's a quote from Daily Wire, and I want to just emphasize this because... For many, many years, that's what happened. The, the rocket boosters, they, they boost these shuttles or these spacecrafts into space. And then I remember even watching when I was a child, you actually could see the video of the rocket boosters come down. They have to be removed from the craft, and they would come down into the ocean, and they would get destroyed. A $50 million rocket booster literally destroyed. So NASA scientists worked on this for years. How can we get the NASA rocket boosters Back to you know, back to Earth safely, so intact, so that you can reuse them instead of having them land in the ocean, basically just crash into the ocean and get destroyed. And and NASA scientists, this is on record, they they concluded that it is impossible. It is not possible. They didn't say, well, listen, we're stumped. Let's call Elon Musk. They said it's not possible. There is no way that we can get rocket boosters. And you know what? It was taxpayer dollars. So what's the big deal? We'll just spend another fifty million for each one. Well, it turns out SpaceX and Elon Musk, they worked on the problem. And Elon Musk said, I can't do this. I, he, he was desperate to get into the industry, the space travel industry with SpaceX. And we, we got to figure out a way. But the problem is I'm losing $50 million every single time. It's like it's like crashing the plane into the ocean, as Musk said. We got to figure this out. Well, they were heavily incentivized to figure it out to save $50 million each launch. And they did exactly that. So after the government scientists, the DMV scientists concluded that it cannot be done. So what does that tell you about Capitalism. All right, and finally, we have actual evidence that the massive unemployment benefits given out by the government are stifling business and hurting the economy, as though we needed proof, by the way, but we finally have it. What bothers me about this is every time a Republican would say, stop giving out $300 and $400 a week unemployment checks because you're crushing businesses because people don't have any incentive to work because you're paying them to stay home, and the Democrats would say, well, show me the data, show me the data, as though, like, you need data to prove that when you pay people as much money to stay home as they would get working, if not more, it discourages them from going out to work. Well, it turns out that the Federal Reserve now, actually in a report to Congress, confirmed that the enhanced federal unemployment uh, payments are a factor in restricting economic growth. What a shock. So despite a, a return to normalcy in the United States right now, uh, despite the end of the lockdown, several analyses reveal that a nationwide shortage of available labor is dampening the economic recovery and 
The problem is especially strong in Democrat states, Democrat-run states, because they have not opted out of the $300 per week federal unemployment supplements. The, the Republican-run states, they've opted out. They're no longer giving out the $300 a week because they don't want to be stifling and suppressing businesses. And by the way, these um, th- these checks are supposed to expire on September 6th. Let's see if that actually happens or let's see if Biden extends them. But the Federal Reserve in their biannual report to Congress at several several points in their or semi-annual report, so I guess every half a year, several points in their 75-page report, the Federal Reserve says that the federal handouts are worsening labor shortages. Here's a quote. With economic activity rebounding, the labor demand rose briskly in the spring while the supply of labor struggled to keep up. Employers reported widespread hiring difficulties. Job openings jumped to about 30% above the average level for 2019, and the ratio of job openings to job seekers surged. Enhanced unemployment benefits have allowed potential workers to be more selective and reduce the intensity of their job search. So it turns out that now we have confirmation to what we have suspected all along, which is when you pay people a lot of money to stay home from work, they're not going to work. All right, that's going to do it for today, and we will see you next time.